and welcome to the podcast for the journal Integrated Environmental Assessment and Management, better known as IEAM. I'm Jenny Shaw. The September 2017 issue of IEAM contains a paper that calls for greater integration of predictive toxicology methods in alternative analysis for hazardous chemicals. Lead author Timothy Malloy is a professor of law at the University of California, Los Angeles, and he's with us today to talk about the paper. Hi, Tim. Thanks for chatting with us. Hi, Jenny. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to be speaking with you. Just to get everyone on the same page, would you briefly describe the terms predictive toxicology and alternatives analysis for our listeners? Well, predictive toxicology, let's start with that one. That's really a range of methods that are used to generate information about the toxicity of a chemical, but without engaging in animal testing. So predictive toxicology could include things like what's known as in vitro high throughput screening. This is a method where the analyst will take cells, put them in a a plate, add the chemical, and then just watch to see what effect the chemical has on the particular cell. It's called high throughput because these plates can hold hundreds or even thousands of cells in in different wells, and the tests can be done at high volume using computational approaches. With respect to alternatives analysis, alternatives analysis is a systematic method that's used uh, to compare alternatives, taking into account the different attributes that are important to the analyst. So if you were choosing among a, a group of cars, which car to buy, there'd probably be certain things that are most important to you, you know, cost, reliability, color. Each of these attributes would be of different importance to you. So in choosing the car that you'd like to pick, uh, you would have to trade off various attributes, one against the other. So you'd be looking at a bunch of cars and figuring out which one gives you the best trade-offs when you look at the whole Alternative analysis taking that same concept and using it to compare what might be a chemical of concern, say, in a particular product with other potential alternatives to that chemical. And in looking at the paper, there's a really diverse group of authors on this paper, from attorneys to toxicologists and even policy experts. Who was the target audience for the paper? We brought those folks together because we felt that there were two disciplines that were out there that weren't talking to one another. So you might say in the one corner, you had folks who were involved in alternatives analysis. So these might be scientists, policy experts, even lawyers who are looking at ways to find safer alternatives to various chemicals of concern in in products. But in the other corner, you had people who were developing and using predictive toxicology And our experience was that these two diverse groups weren't interacting with each other, despite the fact that predictive toxicology had a lot to bring to alternatives analysis. And alternatives analysis presents lots of opportunity for predictive toxicology to expand and really reach its full potential. So I guess you could say that uh, in terms of the audience we had in mind for the paper, it was people who do alternatives analysis and people who do predictive toxicology. That's great because that's going to speak to a wide range of IEAM readers and also listeners of the podcast. So the paper itself talks about four predictive toxicology approaches or tools that could be used in alternatives analysis, and you discuss pros and cons for each. Is there an advantage to using one over the others? 
I guess what I would say there is what lawyers often say, which is it depends. <laughs> Some of these methods are useful in particular settings. So the one I had mentioned before, high throughput screening, that is a method. It's fairly cheap. It's very quick. It provides some information, but not conclusive information about toxicology. So it's useful for very quick screening of chemicals. So in a private setting, a company might be able to use high throughput screening to look very quickly at a large number of chemicals that it was considering for use and deselect some of those chemicals on the basis of those results. Other types of predictive tox um, methods are useful for other things. So one of the four types that we talk about in the paper is what we call non-traditional in vivo method. That's just really a complicated word for things like zebrafish or these little transparent worms known as C. elegans. These are whole organisms. They're functioning animals. And what they can be used for is to do toxicity testing. And you can see the effect that the chemical has on the whole life cycle of an entire organism. That's really useful for chemicals that you think may be having an effect on the reproductive system or may have intergenerational effects. That is, this chemical exposing a mother to the chemical could have an effect on offspring or even even the offspring's offspring. So using these kinds of animals allow you to see those complex effects happening across generations. But I should say these uh, methods are also useful as a group. So in some settings, you would take data from high throughput screening, from computer modeling, from these non-traditional in vivo methods, all generated from the same chemical or set of chemicals, and then look at the data that's been generated as a whole to integrate that information and come to a conclusion based on all the data. So now validation of these four methods is definitely a crucial aspect, but most of the tools seem pretty far removed from real world organisms, as you mentioned, the in silico computational approaches. So how does one actually validate these tests against whole animal models? That is a very interesting and controversial question. In a sense, I might say you put your finger on the third rail of predictive talks. Let me step back for a second and just define validation. You know, generally speaking, we would think of validation as an objective manner or, or method that allows us to determine, does this method actually measure what it's aiming to measure? And does it do so reliably, accurately, and in a way that can be reproduced? Right. So you want to make sure that the method that you're using is appropriate and reliable, basically. But how you do that you know, what is the appropriate method for validation has turned out to be quite controversial. There are a variety of institutions, both governmental and kind of private associations that have gotten together to develop methods for validation. So there's a variety of ways of validating and they vary by method. But here's the interesting point, I think, about validation. In your question, you said, how are such tests validated against a whole animal model? And of course, there's an underlying assumption there, right? That the whole animal model, the animal experiments are kind of the gold standard that a, a, a predictive tox approach should be able to perform the same as the whole animal model might. And in fact, it turns out that, you know, some of the whole animal testing that's done itself may not be particularly accurate or reliable, but it is 
at least in the past, it has been the best that we've had. So it, in some cases, it may be that you're performing in the same way as a whole animal model may not actually give you confidence in your predictive tox test. You want, in some instances, your predictive tox test to perform better than the whole animal model. And that's one example of the kind of nuances and concerns that are generated as folks are developing these validation approaches. Now, the paper concludes with four recommendations for incorporating predictive talks in alternatives analysis. What do you think the path forward looks like? Well, I I think of the path forward sort of in a near-term, mid, far-term approach. In the near term, there's certain ways in which predictive toxicology can be useful in alternatives analysis right now. And the clearest example of that is using predictive toxicology for screening purposes, right? So one good example of this would be companies that are looking at a variety of potential alternatives, want to uh, screen out ones that seem to present unacceptable concern for them. In vitro screening is a useful way of doing that. This in silico modeling is another uh, way of doing it. So it's cheap, it's fast, and it will exclude things. It may exclude things that ultimately, had they been fully tested, would have turned out to be safe. But at the screening level, uh, that might be a an outcome that they're willing to accept, right? For some of the other purposes where you're moving beyond screening and you're trying to make some judgments about what are the risks associated with this use, those are harder questions. And I think for that, you need some midterm and uh, longer term steps. One of the midterm steps is to build familiarity and explore these uses uh, within these different disciplines of toxicology and AA. So uh, working on various case studies, both you know within government agencies or consortiums of industry and academia, where we kind of take these predictive measures for a test drive, essentially, and uh, also get people familiar with them so that it doesn't um, appear to be such a uh, new and emerging approach, but one that is tractable and people are used to seeing, talked about, and used. And then in the long term, I think what we have to do is build capacity. So at the institutional level, one thing we've already talked about, which is validation, we really need to come to consensus both within business, between business and government and uh, civil society across internationally about what kind level of validation is required uh, for what kinds of uses uh, but also building capacity in terms of uh, uh, training people in the use of um, these methods and also making the uh, data and the methods available so that um, folks who have been trained also have the, the access to the test methods and to the databases that are generated from them. So I think it's a you know, take some baby steps that you're able to take right now and then start building towards a more uh, ambitious use of these um, as you uh, ramp up your capacity and your uh, familiarity. Thanks, Tim. This has been really informative. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the paper. And I, I, I did notice that a number of the podcasts that have already been developed are on the topic of alternatives analysis and alternative assessment, which is terrific. 
we've had a lot of interests and a lot of publications in alternative analysis recently. So we certainly look forward to hearing more on this. You've been listening to Tim Malloy discuss his article, Advancing Alternatives Analysis, the Role of Predictive Toxicology in Selecting Safer Chemical Products and Processes. Access the article in the September 2017 issue of IEAM. Just go to ctacjournals.org. I'm Jenny Shaw, and thank you for listening to the IEAM podcast.